All right, as we get back into our Sunday night series on the great progress of victory that we have in Christ over the enemies that war against our souls, as it says in 1 Peter 2.11 tonight, we're actually going to start taking a closer look at the enemy, our enemy, of the world. The world. Which even though Jesus tells us in John 16.33, and that's what we considered last time we were together on Sunday night, he says, I have overcome the world. And that's why we can now be of good cheer, right? Yet, it is the enemy of the world that we often struggle with and even fall prey to the most. Perhaps even more than our own flesh and the devil himself. And that's because this world is probably the most deceptive and devious of our enemies. Since it touches what we know and love best. That is, our own lives and homes in this world. So tonight, from 1 Timothy 2, or 1 John 2, 15-17, we come to a familiar passage about the world, right? And what our relationship with the world is supposed to be like as Christians. 1 John 2, 15-17, the Apostle John instructs and commands us to love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. In these verses that we just read, and probably even have committed to memory, we see just how serious we need to take this enemy of the world. We need to see how serious it really is in our lives. We need to take seriously the threat of this old world. And we need to take it seriously because, first of all, of the serious command that we come to first in these verses. Again, the command is right there in verse 15 to love not, or to not love, the world. Now, whenever we find a specific command like this in Scripture, what should we do with it? we got to take it seriously, don't we? Because it's command. It's not a suggestion. It's command. And commands like this reveal the real concern that Jesus has for our souls. He really cares for us. And that's why he commands us to do things. Because he knows what we need best. In fact, in John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. And really, if we love him, we'll not only keep his commandments, but because he loves us, he gives us his commandments. And he wants us to keep those commandments because he knows, more than anybody else, that they are what is best for us. He knows what's best. And so he tells us what's best. And what's best for us when it comes to this world is to love not the world. So he knows and tells us who we are not to love. But then, of course, he also, on the other side, tells us who and what we are to love. And, of course, that is that first commandment, right? We are to love the Lord our God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then, of course, our neighbor as ourselves, Jesus says. So love not the world, we find here. It is a serious command. 
that sadly we really don't take as seriously as Christians and as churches once did in the past. We still need to obey this command. This is something that we need to get back to. Something that we need to recover. But the question now stands, well, what is this world that I am not to love? Well, we'll get to that. But before we do, we're given, again by John, another reason to take the world seriously, and that is because, number two, the serious compass of that command. The serious compass of that command that we were just given. Again, verse 15, love not the world, neither what? The things that are in the world. So if you didn't think that was comprehensive enough, he gets a little bit more detailed. And that phrase shows us just how comprehensive this command is. It encompasses not just the world itself, but anything that and everything that is connected to that world that we are not to love. So the world as a whole is dangerous for us as Christians. And that's why it is one of those common enemies. It's one of those enemies that war against our soul. It's dangerous to love and to set our affections upon this world. But it's not just the world as a whole. It's also the world in all of its parts. The things that are in the world, John says. Now, it's not describing the things necessarily that are on this world, that is the physical material substances, but rather the things that make up this world that we are not to love. The things in it. The very things that make up the world. And that is because the things in the world that make up the world are the very things that should cause us as Christians to love not the world. The things of the world are in opposition to the things of God. It's kind of like one of the things that I really don't like when it comes to food. Now, I think everybody has their favorite foods and things that they don't like. But one thing that I just don't like, never have, is tomato soup. I don't like tomato soup. And I, like, I don't like tomato soup as a whole. But I also don't like tomato soup because of its individual parts. I don't like the things that make tomato soup tomato soup. I don't like its taste. I don't like its smell. I don't like its texture. Kind of gross. Um, I don't like its color. Now, I guess some of you really like tomato soup. I'm sorry. I just don't like it. But so it is with the things in this world. The things that are in this world are the very things that make the world as a whole, just like tomato soup. Dangerous and distasteful for a Christian who has tasted of the grace and the goodness of the Lord. So again, the question is, what is this world that we are not to love? And the things that are in this world that we are not to love? Well, we'll get to that too, but we need to take the world seriously, John is saying. Because of the serious command that we're given, and really just the serious compass of that command, that before we get to know what that world is, John gives us then another reason to take the world seriously, and that is because, number three, the serious consequence of loving the world. The serious consequence. He goes on in there in verse 15, and he says, If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now that's a serious problem. That's a serious consequence for those who actually do love the world. Now, this love of the Father can be seen in one of two ways. It can either mean the Father's love for you, or it can also mean your love for the Father. And I really believe the latter meaning is what John is referring to here. If any man love the world, your love of the Father is actually not in you. 
And we understand that because of what Jesus himself said back in Matthew 6.24 about love and service. Love and service. In Matthew 6.24, Jesus says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and man. So really the idea is you can't love two things equally on the same plane and the same time. If you love one thing, the other thing that you should be loving is not in you. And that's kind of the idea here. And so in that verse, in Matthew, Jesus teaches us that there are two things that cannot go together when it comes to loving God and serving God. You cannot love and serve God and mammon at the same time and in the same way. And so when it comes to the love of the world, the same thing is true. You cannot love God, the Father, and love the world at the same time in the same way. We believe this because earlier in this chapter, we find the love of the Father toward the people that He saved, right? And so what we need to recognize is that when we are drawn to the love of the world, it crowds out and chokes out the kind of love that we ought to have for God the Father, and that is a shame. And that is a tragic situation for us as Christians. When you love the world, it will take over and crowd out your love for God. That is dangerous. That is distressing if you're a true child of God. Again, if any man loved the world, the love that you have for the Father is not in you as it should be. The love that you ought to have for your Heavenly Father is crowded out by your love for this world. And I think that's probably what happened to the church in Ephesus that we looked at even this morning when John writes for Jesus and says, you have left your first love. Why? Because they loved something else. They loved something more than their God, than Jesus, than their Savior. But again, what is this world? I mean, if we see just how serious the world is, and how serious the, this command is, and how comprehensive this command is, and really how dangerous it can be, well, to answer that question, what is this world, John then reveals the serious composition of that world in verse 16. This is the world that we are not to love, even the composition of that world. For all that is in the world, he says, the lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes and the pride of life, and we're familiar with that phrase, those three phrases. They are not of the Father, but are of the world. So here are the constituent parts that make up the world that make it so dangerous, and really should make it so distasteful to true believers and followers of Christ. And we see that the world does not merely refer to the physical and material world in which we live. He's talking on a spiritual level about spiritual things on a spiritual plane. And, and of course, one of the things that we learn in Genesis is that when God made this material world, he looked at everything in Genesis 1.31 and declared it to be what? Very good. And so we are not descetics. We don't think that, okay, the spiritual is good, the material is bad. We recognize that God made even the material, physical things in a good way. It's what we do with those good things that causes the problem. And that's that connection with the world that we are not to love. So the world here does not refer to the physical and material world in which we live. Of course, when God created those things very good, that was before man's fall into sin. 
But when sin entered into this physical world and death by sin, the way man treated God's world brought forth a different kind of world. And that's the world that we are not to love. That's the world that is dangerous to us. That is the world that wars against our soul. It is the drawing away of our affections, and as we're going to see, our attitudes and our love for God to other things in this world, to make them our God. So we find that a spiritual world of wickedness is what took place when the fall happened. And one of the interesting things as we study through the New Testament what this world is, that we are not to love it, it kind of is personified. It kind of takes on its own entity. It kind of takes on it, its own its own life. This world is pictured kind of as a monster. It is something that will live and breathe in its own way, which feeds upon the sins of all the people of the world. And so if you kind of think of the world as this monster that just keeps on feeding off of wickedness, your wickedness, my wickedness, all wickedness in the world, you'll get a picture of what we're not to love. Because it's not a physical world, it's a spiritual world that is just trying to suck as much of your spiritual devotion and commitment as it possibly can. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And fatter and fatter and fatter. And so even though we see, we often see 1 John 2.16 in terms of our own fallen nature, and, and certainly it's related to that, in truth, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life make up what? The world. These are the things that are in the world. And that is the enemy of our souls. You see, the world is what draws us away from the person of our Creator and draws us away from the very purpose of our creation. Now, what is our purpose? Why did God make us? Well, you have to go back to some of the early catechisms and what is the purpose of man? It is to glorify God. That's the purpose of man. It always has been, it always will be. To glorify God, to, to know Him, to love Him, and to glorify Him in every way that we can. I mean, even in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, uh, it says that we, 10, 31, it says that we are, whether we eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so the world is trying to suck that glory away from God to itself, so that we forget our purpose, and really we forget our Creator Himself. So the world is made up of these constituent parts. The world is first made up of everything that attracts the sinful appetites of man. That is what John describes as the lust of the flesh. The world is made up of everything that attracts the sinful appetites of man. Now, of course, we know that God has given us physical appetites. You know, I, I know maybe some of you, as I was describing tomato soup, thought, I can't, I don't know why you don't like tomato soup, because I like it, and I can't wait to go home and have something that I'm hungry for, right? Shouldn't have said anything about tomato soup. Um, but we all have God-given physical appetites, and those are wholesome. Those are good. Those are natural, and those are real. And those physical appetites can and should be satisfied in the ways that God has given to us through His Word. But we also know that there are ways that we can satisfy those appetites in immoral and in inordinate ways. You see, because of sin, all too often, we try to satisfy those appetites in those wrong ways. And you know what the world does? It eats it up. 
The world, like a monster, like a beast, feeds upon those lusts and tries to capture our appetites unto itself. It wants our appetites. So that it doesn't go toward the things that God has provided for us, but rather to the things that it knows will displease God. This world is like a flesh magnet. It draws out what is wrong in us. But then number two, the, the world is also made up of everything that attracts the sinful affections of man. Not just our appetites, but also our sinful affections. And that's what John describes as the lust of the eyes. Again, hasn't God given us genuine feelings and affections that when they are directed to the right objects are good and wholesome? I mean, you think about the love that a husband and a wife have toward each other. That's the way God designed it. That's the way God created it. It's wholesome. The Bible says that in, in marriage, it's, it's a, a, a blessing, not just for Christians, but for the world. It's certainly a blessing for Christians. But the marriage is honorable in all, and the bed and the file, the scripture says. And so there are, there are wholesome things and feelings and affections. But we find where we take those affections in the Word of God. You know, there's genuine love that we can have for other members of our family, children, grandchildren. And yet, once again, because of sin entering into this world, our feelings and our affections are now, are now drawn to what is inferior instead of superior. When you think of all of these immoral lusts that people have, inordinate affections, it is caused because of the world is drawing out what is really inside of us. Again, this world is a magnet to sin. And we know that those feelings and affections are drawn to inferior instead of what is superior because Paul tells us in Colossians 3, 2 that we are to center our affections on things where? Above. Not on things on the earth. And that's something we need to do purposefully and intentionally every single day because the world is always trying to capture and captivate our affections to take our love off of god to take our love off of the wholesome things that we love to take our love off of christ to take our love off of heavenly things and so then the world like a beast tries to captivate our hearts so it might grow fat through our lusts but then we also see that the world is further made up of everything that attracts the sinful ambitions of man as well. This is what John describes as the pride of life, the sinful ambitions of man. So we have our appetites. Those can be satisfied in a legitimate way. We have our affections. Those can also be taken to the in, according to the Word of God in the right way. And, and certainly, we can have a right kind of pride. But not in ourselves. Where should our pride be? In our God, right? When we are proud of God, we're glorifying Him, we're praising Him, we're honoring Him. But what is this pride of life? It refers to the sinful and selfish boasting about life that you really have nothing to do with. Oh, don't we see this all the time in politics? We see a boasting of self-made men or women trying to put themselves on the national scene saying, my ideas are better than anybody else's ideas. My, my ways are always better than anybody else's ways. And so we see this pride of life, and yet so often it's a vain pride 
Because where they are, what they've done, what they have, who they are, where does any of that come from? Where does their life come from? It comes from God. And so really any boasting of our life or livelihood apart from God is vanity. It's the pride of life. One example is the pride of life. It's pride of life when, according to Proverbs 27, when you boast yourself of tomorrow. Do you or I have, or anyone, have any control over tomorrow? No, not at all. And yet, Proverbs 27, 1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. So, the pride of life is taking the glory away from God as the creator of your life and taking that glory upon yourself. And when we do that, the world, again, like a monster, like a beast, absorbs all that pride and then seeks to cultivate more of it in our own hearts. And so there's a give and take in this world. The world that we are not to love is feeding off of our sin, but then tries to cultivate more sin in us and around us and in this great culture of ours. And so all of these, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all at the same time make up the world. And are made up by the world. So again, it is a grotesque monster, this world, that feeds on sin and then fuels our sin at the same time. And it's entirely opposed to the nature of God. For example, since God is truth, what does the world try to do? The world tries to make up its own kind of truth, and yet that truth is made up of all but lies. So it's no truth at all. Contrary to the nature of God. Since God is love, the world tries to make up its own kind of love. Right? And yet that love is really nothing but lust. And so it's no love at all. God is light. We see that throughout Scripture. That's His character. That's His nature. And so the, the world will try to make up its own kind of light. And that light is made up of nothing but darkness. And so it's no light at all. And, of course, we see that God is so good. We see it all throughout Scripture. I mean, he, he causes the rain to, to, to fall on the just and the unjust alike, all to lead men to repentance and faith in Him. But then the world, that monster, tries to make up its own kind of goodness, which, again, is nothing but evil, and is not good at all. That is what we find going on in Isaiah 5.20 when it says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that for bitter, put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That's what the world does. And yet how many times are we drawn to this world of opposites when it comes to the things of God? Our appetites are drawn to drawn by the world, and our affections are drawn to the world, even our ambition is drawn to the world, and yet we are commanded to love not the world. And that's why as Christians, we need to realize that this world is actually far worse than tomato soup. That's an understatement. In all of its constituent parts. But then if you go to verse 17, John gives us another reason to love not the world. And that is because of the serious conclusion that is coming on this world. The serious conclusion, the world is passing away, and the lust thereof. So one of the things about this beast is that it cannot and it will not last forever. In fact, 
It's already in the process of passing away, John says. And of course, we know that that's the case because Jesus himself is the one, John 16, that, that we looked at last time, he's already overcome it. He's overcome this enemy of our souls. So instead of being drawn to the world, daily we need to remember that we are at war with this world. And the world, the world is war, at war with us. Do we remember that? I know sometimes when I'm trying to take a little break throughout the week and maybe turn on the TV and, and I realize some of these episodes and some of these shows, some of them might be pretty good, some of them might be wholesome, but others, boy, they just are sucking my affections and my appetites and my ambitions into the way that they should not go. That's not taking the world seriously for what it is and what it will do. And that's why then John reminds us, number six, about the serious choice that we need to make. The serious choice that we need to make when it comes to our relationship with this world. Again, verse 17, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So the choice offered to us as Christians is either to follow the will of the Lord or the will of the world. Now, this choice is not something that an unbeliever has. They first must choose Christ and believe in Christ. Then they can choose which way they're going to follow. But for believers, we have a choice daily whether we are going to follow the will of the Lord or the will of the world. And it really shouldn't be that much of a choice for his people, should it? Because the will of this world and the world itself is passing away, but the will of the Lord leads to life everlasting. So the first step after trusting in and resting in the Lord Jesus Christ who has overcome the world. I mean, that's really the first thing that we need to do when it comes to this enemy of our soul. Rest in and trust in Christ, right? Because we will never overcome this beast of the world on our own. But once you do that, once you trust in and rest in Christ who overcomes the world, then you need to align your appetites and your affections and your ambitions as a human being with the will of God. And that will is to glorify Him completely. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 6.20, uh, Paul also says that we are to glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, when we think of the world, we think of our connection to this world with our bodies. And we think about our senses. We think about all of those things that make up who we are in this world, and yet the Lord says to glorify God you do so not just from the inside, but it, on the outside as well. Your whole being is God's. And, of course, that is a lifelong proposition. But we will pursue this if we just remember that we need to get back to taking the world seriously as an enemy of our souls. Do you see it that way? Again, it's not the physical, material things that are at war against us. It's the drawing of those things, the magnet of those things, to draw what's inside of us out to take away the glory of God. So we must not let our love for the Lord be choked out by this love for the world. And that's why we find that command. Love not the world. As we close tonight, I want you to think in your own heart, is there something doing that in your life today? Is there something choking out your love for God today? Something in the world. 
something that is drawing your appetite or your affections or your ambitions in the wrong direction? Have we been deceived to think that this world is our friend? Have we forgotten that it really is our foe? If there is something that is drawing and choking your love for God away toward the world, you need to surrender that to Him. Even as we close. Let's pray together. Precious Father, I thank you again for your word and just how serious it is when we think about this foe of the world itself. And Lord, we're going to explore a little bit more of, of what this world is and why it is such a difficult and dangerous place to be in. But Lord, I pray that you'll first of all help us to see that the world is a monster. Because it is opposed to your word, it is opposed to your will, it is opposed to your ways, and it is opposed to your people. And this world is like a monster that wants to draw us away from your will and draw us toward its own will. Of course, we know that the leader of this world is the prince of the power of the air, the devil himself. It's certainly one of his tools in the toolbox, and yet... All throughout the New Testament, we see it as a distinct enemy, a distinct foe. Because it's so intimately related to our own homes, our own bodies, as we dwell in this world. So, Father, I pray that as we go through our week, we will be sensitive to... Whatever in this world might draw our love away from you. What is drawing my attention away from Christ? What is drawing my affections away from you? What is drawing my appetite so that I would fulfill those in ways that are not honoring to you? What is drawing my ambitions? Instead of seeking first the kingdom of God, what else am I seeking? Am I seeking after your glory or the glory of myself or the glory of something else? Help us, Lord, to see that this world is not our home and this world is certainly not our friend. But, Lord, I thank you that even as we consider these things, that we will remember that Jesus is the one who has already overcome the world. And so as we rest in him, as we trust in him, he will enable us to fight this foe of the world so that we can bring glory to you in every aspect of our life. So, Father, we commit it into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.